one of the, one of the, I, I have four kids, four children, and even as I mention this, they're probably all afraid that I'm going to use them as an example um, and embarrass them, which I will not. Um, but each of them bring us, each of them in their own way, bring us boundless joy. My wife and I, Tiffany, we love our children. Uh, one of the things we noticed as new parents when they were just, when we just got them, is that they, when they could walk, they would walk around with these fists clenched. Like little kids, if you've noticed, they just clench their fists and they hold their fists like this. And then when they can walk and you can go outside, they end up finding things on the ground that you would never find and putting them in their little fist. And so oftentimes they end up finding things like rocks or some kind of random trash or whatever that if it doesn't go right in their mouth, it goes in their fist. And so to get it out of their hand, you have to peel away each finger one at a time, and oftentimes, at least our experience was, they would cry at the top of their lungs because it was the most important thing for them to hold onto that rock or that stick or that piece of trash or that random button they found on the ground that Lord knows where it's been, and we wanted to get it out of their hands. Now, you could peel away their fingers or you could give them something they would rather have than that random thing in their fist. If you have a cookie, you could give them that cookie, and their fist, their, their hand would automatically open and drop whatever it was in their hand. Because they realized that you can only hold one thing at a time. You can only clutch one thing at a time. And as, as, as important as that treasure was, they would rather have a cookie, or a drink, or a brownie, or a toy, or something else, and so they would drop that thing that's in their hand. Because you can only hold one thing at a time. Hosea reminds us, this whole book, this whole, this whole prophetic book reminds us as well that we can only hold one thing at a time. So often, what we do is we clutch on to things that are not Christ. And hold on to them with all our hearts and with all that we're worth and grasp and clutch. And we find that we can only hold, Hosea tells us, we can only hold one thing at a time. And the call of Hosea is to clutch onto and grip Christ. Cling not to those things that we're apt to hold in our hands but cling instead to Christ. That's the call of the whole book, and that's the call of this sermon here specifically today, because we can only hold one thing at a time. We can't hold Jesus and money, Jesus and that relationship, Jesus and our education, Jesus and any other sort of thing that we erect as some kind of idol in our lives. The call today is for us to open our hands and drop what's in our hands like an 18-month-old, drop it to the ground so that we might clutch on to Christ, so that we might hold on to and cling to Jesus. Cling only to Christ. That's the summary of our message this morning. And we're going to 
I'll show you where I get that as I read from Hosea chapter 6. I'm going to begin in verse 7, and I'm going to read all the way down to the end of chapter 7 in verse 16, chapter 7, verse 16. So it's chapter 6, verse 7, all the way down to chapter 7, verse 16. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and so if you have a Bible, follow along as I read. The Lord is speaking to the nation of Israel. (coughs) Verse 7, God's word begins, But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers, tracked with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. For you also, O Judah, a harvest is appointed. When I restore the fortunes of my people, when I would heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim is revealed, the evil deeds of Samaria, for they deal falsely. The thief breaks in and bandits raid outside. But they do not consider that I remember all their evil. Now their deeds surround them. They are before my face. By their evil they make the king glad, and their princes by their treachery. They are all adulterers. They are like a heated oven whose baker ceases to stir the fire from the kneading of the dough until it is leavened. On the day of our king, the princes became sick with the heat of wine. He stretched out his hand with mockers, for their hearts are like an oven. They approach their intrigue. All night their anger smolders. In the morning it blazes like a flaming fire. All of them are hot as an oven, and they devour their rulers. All their kings have fallen, and none of them calls upon me. Ephraim mixes himself with peoples. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Strangers devour his strength, and he knows it not. Gray hairs are sprinkled upon him, and he knows it not. The pride of Israel testifies to his face, yet they do not return to the Lord their God nor seek him for all this. Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense, calling to Egypt, going to Assyria. As they go, I I will spread over them my net, and I will bring them down down like birds of the heavens. I will discipline them according to the report made to their congregation. Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction to them, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. They do not cry to me from the heart, but they wail upon their beds. For grain and wine, they gash themselves. They rebel against me. Although I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. They return, but not upward. They are like a treacherous bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword because of the insolence of their tongue. This shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. Let's pray. Lord, I I pray for us, Lord, that you would help us not to have, not for you not to say over any of us, woe, for they, woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Lord, I pray that we would not stray from you, I pray that we would cling to you. I pray that we would be a people who stay close to our Jesus. We do not want to hear the words, Woe, for they have strayed from me. 
And I pray that you would use, in some measure and by some token, my poor efforts this morning. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would empower the preaching of your word. As we look in your word, I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes. I pray that you would open our eyes to the reality that, God, that, that Lord, you are calling some of us to drop things from our hands and cling to Jesus. To drop bitterness and pride and envy and self-righteousness and self-sufficiency. Things like that. And, and cling to you. Lord, that work I cannot do on my own. I feel weak. But I pray you would work in all of us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Cling to Christ. This is what this is calling. To. The, 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 God pronounces woe on the people because they, they strayed away and they cling to other things aside from their God. And so we have three points this morning. First, what happens when you cling to other things? What happened to the nation? What happens when you cling to other things? Chapter 6, verse 7, and chapter 6, verse 10 provide a summary for how Israel had broken faith with the Lord. Verse 7 says, like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. They dealt faithlessly with me. They dealt faithlessly because, not because they stopped re their religious activity, not because they stopped believing in God. It's not as if they became atheists overnight, but what they did is they practiced their religious activity, but yet they didn't follow the Lord. It wasn't as if they became atheists. Instead, they did not have an abiding, steadfast love for God. Like Jim said last week, if you didn't hear his sermon, you should listen to it. It's online. God does not want mere religious activity, but he wants our affections. He wants us to want him. He wants us to want to be with him, to want to be where he is. And this nation did not want him. They wanted things from him. They wanted security from him. They wanted blessing from him, but they did not want God. And that's one of, the, one of the danger signs. If you want things from God, but yet not Him, that's a danger sign. That's a danger sign. That means you may be clinging to perceived blessings or other things instead of Christ and Christ alone. This kind of faithless activity lead to all, led to all sorts of evil. And if you read 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, you can see this evil. And I'll give you an example. This is speaking of Ahaz, who's the king of of, uh, of, of the southern kingdom, but it, it applies to both. In 2 Kings chapter 16, we read, when Ahaz was 20 years old, he, when he began to reign, he reigned for 16 years in Jerusalem. He did not do what was right in the eyes of, his, of the Lord his God, as his father David had done, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Now, Israel is the, the, the northern kingdom. This is who Hosea is talking about. What did the kings of Israel do? This stuff. He even burned his son as an offering, according to the despicable practices of the nation whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. See, this is what the kings, this is what the priests did, this is what the leaders of Israel did, and the people followed. Were there exceptions? Yes. There were pockets of people here and there, but the character of the nation was that they followed their kings and priests and they were faithless to the Lord. 
It's no wonder that the Lord would proclaim over the northern kingdom in verse 10, in the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. The nation as a whole clung to other gods for their well-being. They sought out other nations for their security. They gave themselves to vile practices, and, but, but made an outward showing of the Lord. And the Lord says they are whores. They are defiled. They are spiritual prostitutes selling themselves to the next customer who ambles along instead of seeking the Lord with all of their heart. And this is what happens when we cling to other things aside from Jesus. When we want other things instead of Christ. When we want other things and we cling to other things, we can give ourselves and do all kinds of things just to get those things instead of clinging closely to Christ. What happens when you cling to other things? What happens? The Lord says, woe to you. You become a spiritual prostitute. So the question for us is, are we, are you, am I clinging to something other than Christ? Now the Lord is all about restoration. See, he doesn't just say, hey, are you clinging to something harder and more strident than me? If so, how could you? That's horrible. Instead, he moves to restore. And this restoration process takes a turn that you might not have noticed that, that you might not think, oh, that feels like restoration. But here's how the Lord restores those who cling to other things. Verse 6, the last chapter of the last line of chapter 6, which would be verse 11b, you read this When I restore the fortunes of my people, when I would heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim is revealed, the evil deeds of Samaria. So do you see how he's talking about restoring the nation? The first step in restoration is revealing the iniquity or laying bare or, 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 or showing them their sin. Showing them where they fell short. Showing them their iniquity and laying open before them their evil deeds. The Lord says later he would redeem them, but they're not interested in that. The reason they're not interested is because they love their activity more than they love God. Now, revealing iniquity and God pointing out your sin does not feel like restoration. It hurts. Conviction is never something that's fun. Reveal, the Lord revealing a pattern of sin in your life and laying it bare before your eyes and showing you that there's something you love be, more than Jesus, that is not fun. That process is often piercing and agonizing. But that's the beginning of the restoration process. Because if you don't know what you need to confess, if you're not aware of the iniquity in your life, that's a very dangerous place to be. And so what the Lord does is He's faithful. He's faithful and He's kind to restore those who cling to other things by first pointing out their sin. And we know, it's hard, to it's hard to communicate this in this book, but we know the Lord was gracious to Israel. For 250 years, the Lord sent, ki He kindly and patiently and gently and doggedly revealed the nation's sin to them, trying to woo them back 
And generation after generation after generation, they refused. And so the Lord then promises that if you do not turn back, you will be destroyed. And that's what happened here. That's what's happening here. They never did respond. The same is true for us. The Lord is patient and kind and gentle and faithful to reveal your sin. And sometimes what he does, often what he does first, is nudge you just with a a still, small voice from the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to your heart when you do something wrong or when you have a pattern of sin that you've done, that that you know about. It's that sense that when you do something, you know, oh, this is wrong. And then you feel this burden. That's a gift. That's a gift from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells every Christian. And every genuine Christian, when he's aware, he or she's aware of sin, there will be this pang of conviction. But it's possible to ignore that conviction. If you feel it, respond. Now, it could be that you don't respond to the nudging of the Spirit, and so the Lord sends other people to say the same message. If we have people in our lives, all Christians must. Sometimes what He does is He sends other people to say the same thing to try to help you and pull you back from the edge of destruction. And if you have a faithful friend, that person will point out things and areas you need to grow. And sometimes that's the way the Lord delivers conviction. But it's possible to ignore those people too. And sometimes, if you don't respond to the nudging of the Spirit, or faithful friends who point things out, what the Lord does is He's pleased to give catastrophic consequences to you in your life. So that you realize, I have no choice but to turn to Christ. Now, that's not the only reason disastrous consequences come. Sometimes, because we live in a fallen world, we suffer because we live here in this world. But sometimes, sometimes, what the Lord is trying to do is get your attention. He will go to great lengths to get your attention. He went to great lengths to get the attention of the northern kingdom, and at every turn, they spurned him. Here's a question only you can answer for yourself, and I can answer for myself. Am I spurning the Lord? Are there things that the Lord has put his finger on, and you say, no, I'm going to stay that way. I'm going to hold on to that bitterness. I'm going to clutch that unforgiveness. I'm going to I'm going to foment that anger. I'm going to give in to that isolation. I'm going to continue to walk down the path sexual immorality 
See, the Lord is kind. If you're hearing my voice today, the Lord in his kindness may be calling you to turn from any of those things and cling to Christ. Because all of those things, every single one, lead to death. We must respond. We must respond. We can justify all kinds of things that we have in our life. We can justify all the kinds of different sins that we carry around. We can tell people they don't understand, or if you just understood what I went through, then you would know what, why, why I'm struggling. Or we could say, it's just so hard. I've been doing this so long. It feels like a part of who I am. We can say that kind of thing, but at the end of the day, what the Lord is calling us to do is to respond to Him and cling to Christ. None of us want the Lord to say over us, woe to you. Woe to you. I sent my spirit. I sent friends and I sent sermons and you did not turn. The call for us today is to cling to Christ. To cling most closely to Him and to open up our hands and release those things that we clutch onto. Maybe our opinions, maybe our perspectives about ourselves, maybe a secret sin. And let it go. The restoration process begins with the Lord revealing sin to you. Is he revealing anything? He may not be. But is he? Hosea goes even further. And he gives five examples of people who refuse to repent and what they do instead. After giving this extended picture of a heated oven where they're, the, the picture there is they're passionate for all the wrong things. And the Lord had been calling them back and they refused to turn, refused to turn. And so who are they? Well, he gives five pictures of who they are. And if you don't turn to the Lord, maybe you are one of these pictures. Verse 8 Ephraim, that's Israel, mixes himself with the peoples. Ephraim is a cake not turned. So a cake not turned is burned on the bottom or the top and raw on the other side. A cake not turned is what we call half-baked. It's not one thing, nor is it another. So it's good for nothing. See, this is, this is those of us who try to live with one foot in the world and one foot with Jesus. Who don't make commitments to follow the Lord. Or who do on Sunday and maybe at small group. But yet, when you're at work or at school or at play, really you look more like the people in the world who do not follow Jesus. Are you half-baked? A cake not worth eating. A cake that's not worth eating and good for nothing. See, those are half-baked. Are you half-baked? Are you in one foot in the world and one foot with Jesus, refusing to turn? 
The next picture is someone who's deluded. They don't have any self-awareness. Look at verse 9. Strangers devour his strength, and he knows it not. Gray hairs are sprinkled upon him, and he knows it not. See, the picture here is Ephraim, or the northern kingdom, Israel, thinks it's this strong, prosperous, able nation, but in fact, it has gray hair. Like, like a young, like an old man who pretends like he can do the physical exploits he could when he was 25 and has no self-awareness and deludes himself into thinking, oh, I can do this. Israel thinks it's something it's not, like an old man who thinks he's in his prime. There are people, maybe in this room, who think there's something they're not. You think you're close to Christ, and people are saying, hey, listen, you're wandering away. You're isolating yourself. You're doing whatever you want. You say all the right things, but you go off and do whatever you want, and you're deluded. You do not have self-awareness. That's, one re- that's another reason. So we have half-baked. We have people who are deluded. We have also people who are senseless. Look at verse 11. Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense, calling to Egypt, going to Assyria. If you've ever walked in the desert and seen doves just flit, you can see this with quail, but you'll see it with doves. They flit from tree to tree to bush to bush, and they just move around without a plan and are completely random. It's like a person who is silly. It's silly not to come back and cling to Christ. And so, on the one hand, they may say, I've been convicted. I won't ever do that again. I'll never, ever do that again. That's not who I am. That's not what I'll do. I'm going to walk away. I'm not going to do that. But then they go right back. I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to have accountability. I'm going to make sure that I don't do this again. But at the end of the day, there's no repentance. There's no confession. It's just a plan. And so it's flying from here to there and over there. I'll never do that. But they end up going right back to it. It's a senseless bird that has no direction. That's what someone's like if they're all over the place, not clinging to Christ. Half-baked, deluded, senseless, and then also crying, crying out. Verse 14, They do not cry out to me from the heart, but wail on their beds. What do they wail for? For grain and wine. They gash themselves. They rebel against me. Do you see what they're crying about? They're crying not about the fact that their relationship from, with God is not what it was, but they're crying out because they don't have enough to eat and they don't have wine. They're crying out because they don't have the stuff they want. So don't make the, don't make the mistake of saying, well, because I pray, I'm okay. Maybe not. You can pray, and you can pray, spend all day praying. But if your heart is not directed to the Lord, it's of no value. We can be more affected. Oftentimes, we can hide a lack of repentance behind desires for all kinds of other things that we want the Lord to give us. We can follow the Lord for His blessing and not just for who He is. 
We can follow the Lord because we want what we want. But that's not crying to Him from the heart. And the last picture is a, is a good-for-nothing bow. It's a vigorous activity that accomplishes nothing. Verse 16, they return, but not upward. They're like a treacherous bow. Now, a bow was one of the primary implements of warfare in that day, and a treacherous bow is a bow that when you notch an arrow and pull it back and let it go, a treacherous bow is unreliable, and it will send the arrow off in one way or another, but not on target. It's possible, it was, it's possible to, shoot, to shoot an arrow and have the appearance of vigorous activity, but yet it do nothing. It's possible actually to do the right things, play the part, go to church, say all the right things, have all kinds of activity, lots of resolutions, lots of serving, lots of, lots of being and saying everything right. <clears throat> but be a treacherous bow, not really be serving the Lord with your heart. So is the Lord putting something on your heart? Is the Lord speaking to you about something to confess and repent? Now, salvation does not come by the earnestness of our repentance, but the, the saved are going to live a life of constant repentance. And so our call this morning is to cling closely to Christ. <clears throat> our call this morning is to throw away those things that we're holding on to in our hands. Our call this morning is to let go of those things that are preventing us from clinging to Christ. Only Jesus can give awareness to the deluded. Only Jesus can give sense to the silly and senseless. Only Jesus can reprioritize those, the lives of those who cry for the wrong things. Only Jesus is able to forgive the pointlessly vigorous. And we must cling to Christ. We must be a people who respond. We must be a people who are not like the people of Hosea. The people of Hosea did not ever respond to the Lord. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, this is written for our benefit so that we might not do what they did. This is written for our benefit so that we might not wander away into other things. And it's very tempting, even if you go to church or know a lot about Jesus, it's very tempting to think because you do those kinds of things that you're going to be okay. It's not true. You're only okay if you cling to Christ. You're only okay if you vigorously fight the sin that he points out. You see, when we get used, that's not to say that we're ever going to be sinless. That's not how it works. It's also not to say that you'll always be aware of everything you do wrong. You can't confess and repent from sins you don't know anything about. That's not what's going on here. We're talking about things that we know. We're talking about sins that we're aware of, but we excuse. And like a senseless bird, 
move all over the place to do whatever we can not to respond to the Lord. That's what we're talking about. And that's where we need to respond. See, you can confess Christ and be orthodox in your belief, but yet, if you do not live a life of repentance, you may not be saved. Not everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord, not everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. Only those who call with a heart willing, with a, with a, with a willingness to give everything to him. It has to be sincere. And so Hosea <clears throat> called out to people who were not sincere and did not ever hear. Is that us? Is that any of us? One of the most sobering things I've ever experienced as a pastor is to see people who I would have, I would have bet my mortgage, my house on, are genuine believers. To see them make a shipwreck of their lives because they refuse to confess and repent. And they hold on to things that rot them from the inside. Our call, our call, our call today is for us to turn from those things and cling to Christ. And the Lord, the Lord wants us each to think about what he's putting, like the Lord, if he's putting his finger on something in your life, the most important thing for you to do is to confess and repent to him. Sometimes we can feel better if we share the things that we've done or confess to other people just so that we might feel better about ourselves, but yet not really confess and repent to the Lord. That's of no value. What's of ultimate value for us today is Jesus. You see, in our more sane times, we know that there's no one like Jesus. We know that there is no one around who has lived and died and rose again so that we might be able to have eternal hope with, with no strings attached. There is no one like this Jesus. Your sin, my sin, those things that we're tempted to hold on to, those things that seem so dear to us, they don't give life like Jesus. Only Jesus has given life. And not only that, he's not going to be someone that when you go to him and say, listen, here's my sin, here's, my, here's where I need help, he's not going to say, how many times have I told you? What are you doing? He's going to say, you're forgiven. Why? <laughs> because he loves us and because he's gracious. You see, sometimes one of the reasons we don't confess and repent 
is because we're afraid maybe some part of us that will be rejected but that's not who Jesus is no matter where you've been or what you've done no matter how far afield you've gone Jesus will always welcome you back George Whitfield in the 18th century he, he was an English English evangelist in the 18th century he preached to more people up into that point than anybody in the history of the world and at one point he said speaking to the elite the English elite like the lords and the ladies and the dukes and the duchesses and the viscounts and folks like that he said that the Lord would always accept the devil's castaways two high cultured ladies were offended by that and they went to talk to him and he said when he said that afterwards a lady came to him and said I heard you say that Christ would always accept the devil's castaways and she said that's that's who I am do you think he'll receive me and Whitfield said absolutely you see, it doesn't matter what we've done. It matters who our Savior is. It doesn't matter where we've been. It matters that we come back. And today's the day for us to come back. Maybe you feel like a castaway from the devil. Great. The Lord accepts anyone. Maybe, maybe, maybe you've gotten so used to a sin that you can't imagine your life without it. Maybe the tearing of that sin away from you would be a, like a destruction of who you think you are as an identity. Maybe that's how you feel. Let me tell you, there is nothing. Jesus, Jesus oftentimes wounds and then he heals. There's going to be a wounding. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. But there is no one like Jesus. There is no one, no one who can take those things that hurt, those sins that have, have, have hamstrung us in our lives. There's no one who can not just, he doesn't just forgive, offer forgiveness. He also offers strength and power and help. And he promises that if you come to him, he will heal you. May we cling to Christ. May we take our hands and let go of whatever we're holding and instead grasp Jesus. Now I'm going to pray, and in the prayer I'm going to give, give a few moments for us each just to take kind of a personal inventory and catalog and just ask the Lord if there is, maybe you're aware of something, in your life that you need to confess and repent. Before you think about going to talk to anybody else, what we're going to do here is talk to the Lord. Maybe you've run off and the Lord's calling you back. Maybe nobody knows it, but you're walking on the edge of a cliff with, the, with some kind of sin that you're toying with. Whatever it is, 
let's talk to the Lord. So I'm going to open us in prayer and then give a few moments. And I would just encourage you to respond to the Lord personally. If you're not a Christian, you can ask him to forgive your sins and come into your life, and he will. If you are, let's cling to him and not that other stuff and drop what's in our hands. Lord, I ask for all of us. Lord, I ask for me. Most of all, Lord, I pray, Lord, it it is just so easy to value other things aside from you. Rest. Sleep. Reputation. Lord, it's tempting to hold on to a great many things aside from you. And by your Spirit, I pray that you are pointing out to things pointing out areas in our lives, each of us, that we might confess, ask forgiveness, and turn back to you. We don't want to have it said of us, woe to them. I came in the form of a gentle nudge and you did not respond. I came in the form of friends and you did not respond. I came in the form of sermon after sermon and you did not respond. Woe to you because you love your sin more than you love me. None of us want to hear that, Lord. All of us want to follow you. All of us want to cling to you. And so, Lord, where we're holding other things in our hands, Lord, help us to drop those things and cling to you. take a few moments just to do business with the Lord quietly. Lord, I pray that you begin the restoration process for any here who have turned to you. And Lord, for those that don't or haven't, I pray that you would bring consequences to their lives so that they might recognize that only you, Jesus, are worth living for. Lord, where we have clung to other things, please forgive us. Where we have valued other things, please forgive us. Where we have put other things first in our lives, please forgive us. Where we have looked to other loves and displaced you, Lord, please forgive us. Where we've clutched on to things with all of our might and not clung to you, please forgive us. We're grateful that we can come to you knowing forgiveness. You you offer forgiveness because, Jesus, you died and rose again. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to change. I pray that you would help those of us who have heard from you this morning and know of an area, Lord, I pray that you would help us to change. Lord, we can't do this on our own. We ask for help. And Lord, we pray that you would, as we confess and repent, I pray that you would help us to take radical steps to turn away by your grace and for your glory, Lord. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who cling to you most stridently. It's in your name we pray. Amen.